From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 123 of the Killing It podcast. I'm Carl, joined today by Ryan and Dave. And I don't know about you guys, so where I am, I'm surrounded by forest fires. So even though I'm very safe and all that happy stuff, I looked out and I thought it was cloudy. And then I opened the door and it's smoky. It just literally smells like there's a campfire right next door. So uh, pray for people in the West if you got any spare prayers. See, that's the thing, right? I'm not surrounded by wildfires, but my air looks exactly like yours. <laughs> and everyone talks about the East Coast and like we've got beautiful weather. It's it's cool a little bit. It's not even been a brutal Washington like humid summer. We're having like a slight You had cicadas like 7 inches deep. Yeah, but that's only every 13 years or 17 years. <laughs> come on. You, your wildfires come every year. Well, they do now. My cicadas only come every what 17. <laughs> well, and, and two of the really big 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 monster fires uh, joined forces yesterday, so it's uh, it's not good. It's so. a super villain team up. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And uh, and yes, it is going to be hundred plus degrees in Sacramento again this weekend. So good luck with that. But uh, you know, stay inside, consume some digital media. Ted Lasso is back with season number two. That's true. So that's good. That's high, a feel good way. Highly <laughs> well, recommend have, if you're not uh, watching I, it. I used to belong to several meetups that were. Happy hour meetups, business meetups, speaker meetups, sales meetups, and they all sort of, you know, disappeared in the uh, pandemic, of course. And I finally decided I'm going to go find me some meetups to go to. And there's a brand new meetup that does really fun things. So I went and painted a picture of uh, Half Dome with uh, a crowd of strangers uh, last week, and it was quite delightful. And then uh, I'm going to a progressive dinner and we're just going to do some things and just sort of tiptoe back out into the world. So I got that going for me. Well, that's super cool. See, and what I will say is your weekend sounds a whole lot more fun than mine. We are in the process of relocating and therefore putting things in boxes. And let me just remind everybody, in case you've forgotten, moving sucks. It's uh, like whatever you're doing, you know, real estate is cool. And I want to live by the water and see all these good things. But you know what? Like... Maybe it's not worth it if you're the human who has to actually put things in boxes and lift those boxes up. Uh, I, I would I would not recommend that as a, a life decision. I guess I'm the, one in, the, I'm the one in the middle. <laughs> you're, you have to put the boxes into the truck, and then you got to take them out of the truck and put them back in the next house. This is the magic that I uh, I have learned. On the other end, there at the destination, there are very many things called nephews. And uh, and the nephews are young and, and physically fit. And uh, and for pizza, I will not be lifting those boxes a second time. Well, <laughs> I guess I'm in the middle. I'm just I'm just hanging out with a bit of a quiet weekend. I've got lots of friends on vacation, but, but we're just enjoying quietness. So it's it's kind of OK. Excellent. Well, well, this week, again, we're brought to you by our friends at Gozinta. Did you know that the average MSP spends 
10 hours manually inputting accounting data each week. That time is 120 prospect calls, a month's worth of the business of tech, or building an entire LEGO Death Star. Gazinta Mobius can make your life easier through accounting automation, automatic sync of invoices, expenses, and inventory from ConnectWise Manage into QuickBooks Online in just a single click of a button. With onboarding direct support and regular feature releases, Gazinta is a family-owned company dedicated to making software suck a little less each day. Visit them at gazinta.com. That's G-O-Z-Y-N-T-A.com. So our first topic today, this is one I kind of throw out periodically to find out the why. I'm gonna link, we're linking to an article called A Tale of Two Chromebooks, and it's a review of some new Chromebook devices by the folks over at Throw. Uh, but the point of this is more the tone of the article because the writer actually said, dives in and talks about the fact that he only periodically dives into this world of Chromebooks and how much it's come. And I want to pose the question for discussion. Why is there such derision for what I would call other, way, other alternative stacks or other technology stacks like the idea of Chromebooks or the idea of a Mac-based stack when... I make a pretty solid argument these days that the endpoint doesn't matter. Why is there such derision <laughs> for, for these alternative methodologies? Well, I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite jokes, which is, you know, how do you know that somebody uses Linux? They tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are certain things where it's just kind of in this world of, you know, hey, I'm a Chromebook user, and guess what? I use Chromebook, and, uh, you know, you should do it too. And I will say, Dave, you are not an evangelist. There are some people who literally want me to throw away my big monster uh, desktop with all of my customized Windows stuff and uh, go to uh, Chromebook. My perception is I would be buying into something that just doesn't do anything I need it to do even though I know it, it'll browse the web. Well, and, so that's, and go ahead, sorry, go ahead, Rock. I, I was gonna say, uh, and it is only that way because that's the way you've already designed it and the sunk cost fallacy rules humankind. Uh, there is this assumption that, well, this way I built it and I've worked really, really hard for an extended period of time to make it good-ish as it currently is and any change to it, to a new platform, a new endpoint, is going to require me to go back and undo some of the work I've already done. And, and quite frankly, the more technical we are, the more we resent having to go back and redo the work that we already did correctly the first time. And so I think what you're getting is not so much a functional objection, like, no, it literally might do everything you need it to do. It's more of a, oh, now I'm going to have to go back and do work to get ready for that new endpoint, and I don't want to have to do that, so I'm going to stick with things the way they are. That uh, that fallacy governs almost all data centers, even up through like the Fortune 10, the Fortune 50. If you go inside their data centers, what you will see is, holy crap, that's a disorganized, like heterogeneous jumble of all kinds of mixed platforms, and they're like, yeah. Don't mess with it. It's working. 
And I think and, and you that thinking and that that way of what people are wired, I think it's the the issue I wanted to highlight a little bit because so I'm, and I'll give you the personal version of the experience. So my Mac went in for service uh, last week. You know, yes, Mac's break. The battery you know, it was and it, it was a physical <laughs> thing. I'll, I'll, the battery the battery needed to be replaced. It's a three year old laptop and it had a had time for the battery to get replaced. Um, so it went in and I was without my laptop for you know an, an overnight and a little bit. So I went and I was working on a Windows machine um, and I was struck by two things. The first was, oh yeah, this is kind of different. And the second statement was, oh, and I can completely work. Like it's, I am getting used to certain things again. Uh, and it, it is, there are certain elements that were slightly different, but I was working again on the Windows machine reasonably well. Was I as effective? No. Was I back to my straight toolkit? No, not right away. But if, it, if somebody had said, oh, you're going to be doing this for a couple of weeks, it would have been fine. <laughs> it would, uh, so on the, on the somewhat less smart-ass uh, answer to your question, when I think about my big monster desktop, and first of all, the hardware that you're never going to find in a Chromebook and that sort of thing, I look at all the things I want to do, and when I think about a Chromebook, I know it can browse the web, and I know that I can use Google Docs instead of you know, Microsoft products and this and that. But as I look at each of those, I say, well, I, but I don't, I don't want Google Docs. To me, it's literally a huge step down in terms of functionality. What I would use the Chromebook for realistically would be something like, oh, well, I have a short-term gap and I'm going to do this handful of things on there, but I can't do all the plethora of things I need from my beefy desktop. So it would become something useful for two jobs and then eventually four jobs and eight jobs and and so forth and and maybe someday that's where we will go but today i am sort of it's not just that i have this sunk cost ryan i have a certain level of functionality i'm not willing to settle for a lower level of functionality just so i can snub my nose at Microsoft or Adobe or whoever. Well, so that I, I will buy it. So Carl, I'll go totally get it. But this is where I think the fall down happens for most in technology. You are not your typical users. You are not the people that you are necessarily selling. That is true. And I think the the bit that I wanted, the reason I thought this was interesting to bring up was is that for me, I look, at, I look at the sales numbers, right? Like I look at significant growth in Chromebooks, significant investment from from Apple in, in the Mac line, like in terms of the, those are solid businesses. Are they as big? Not necessarily, but they're solid businesses and they're clearly solid businesses for a reason. And I wanna make sure, and the reason I wanted to highlight it is, is that you periodically as a good technologist need to poke your head up and look around and make sure that your core assumptions are not old or for just you. <laughs> well, and, and see, that's where I, I believe you're you're onto the answer there, right? We, we all grew up in a world, we all, the three of us, uh, middle-aged individuals grew up in a world where technology filtered from the vendor to the enterprise into the SMB and then to the consumer end, I don't know, 10 years ago, that turned around and we got the consumerization of technology where, where individual users brought technology from home into the office and the organization had to scramble to catch up, which led to a ton of chaos. And I believe one of the underlying problems that we have as an industry, which is the unquestioned religion of standardization. 
Now, I, don't get me wrong. I believe that a standard configuration is a great idea, but that doesn't mean one tool for every single person in every single use case. But that's the way it tends to get applied in our business. We, we tend to do things like in the spirit of, of maximum optimization and eliminating any variation in my service protocols, we will have one laptop that every single human will do, irrespective of whether or not they need that, which leads to a tremendous inefficient overspend on things. I can vouch for the fact that in the last 20 months, uh, we have a long-term client who does nothing. Well, they, they do 90% of their stuff in the Chromebook world, and their business has been going awesome. So <laughs> if you think it's, it's just a little trifling thing, their business has tripled in the last two and a half years, and that's not off of a small number. So we're, we, we got to be done with this topic. I did want to point out there's an article down below. They talk about the big jump last year and hitting over 10% and outselling Max and all that. I just remind you, that was a year when we sent every school child in America home and made them buy uh, Chromebooks or bought Chromebooks for them. That may not happen again the next year. Ah, but there's a big user base now. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent point. Uh, We shall shall revisit the Chromebooks coming up sometime soon. But uh, uh, in the meantime, let's move on to our second topic here, guys, and discuss work-life balance, or more accurately, perhaps, screw your work-life balance, get back in the office, and I said now. Uh, There's two articles that we're actually linking to down in the show notes, and one of them is talking about what I find to be just because they say it without any sense of irony at all. I find it to be a super entertaining article of a banking professional talking about why it's perfectly reasonable that new bankers are asked to work 12 hours a day, six days a week, and 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 they don't need to have a life outside. And it's all about mastery, and and, and they're actually legitimately convinced that that's a good enough reason to take away your work-life balance. But also the second article that we're linking to, uh, we've all lived in this, everybody go home and work and we figured it out. And now we're kind of liking certain elements of that. And we don't necessarily want to go there. Uh, As predicted about a year ago, there is a management class out there that does not care whether or not you like working from home or appreciate the no commute or the work-life balance that it brings, they want you back in the office right now. And that brings up a question of, is that the only job you could possibly get? Or maybe is there a better one? So gentlemen, I'd love to hear from you guys, your thoughts on a work-life balance, especially since one of you wrote a book about that and also (laughs) about this going back to the office full-time thing. What do you guys think? Well, Carl's the pro, so I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, there's here's the other thing that's implied that needs to be called out. Well, I had to do it, so you have to do it too. And there is a, a real element of, of listening to these these managers who are just sort of saying, well, this is the way I always did it, and this is the suffering I had to go through, and so you will too. And for me, I'll I'll always observe the, look, markets and conditions change. If you do not adapt to to the current landscape of people, conditions, market trends, valuation, way people buy, if you're not adapting, you just old school for no reason, right? You are not, you are, you're holding on to something because it's what you know. 
I get it. Like that that this was the way it was done. That doesn't mean it's optimal. And by the way, in particular, you know, I laugh about this. Uh, the chief executive organ, officer of J.P. Morgan, who is making what buckets of money, right? Oh, right. And who who then is saying, well, it it helps them master the job in two to three years instead of five. That's good for the company, not necessarily good for the employee. And what I think th these these very well paid executives are missing is that they're often when we have this conversation about the two, it is a two way agreement. If you completely have the only job in town, sure, you can demand whatever you want. And there may still even in a market like now be people willing to do it. But do not be surprised if there aren't. Well, and as the author of Relax, Focus, Succeed, available everywhere, I will just say, uh, I'm always disappointed with these stories, but there's never an end to these stories. I believe that there is something fundamentally, I wouldn't say broken, but there's something hardwired in the human brain to believe that if I work more hours, I will get more done. And we know, when once we think about it and step back and use you know, the other side of our brain, we know that that's not true. We know that we burn out and that we become less productive. We make more mistakes. <clears throat> I don't know anybody who wants a doctor to start a surgery on them in their 11th hour on the job, right? In a 12 hour shift. No. So intellectually, we, we know that. But the other piece of it is, I think there's something in the human brain that says, this is how we work. We work the way the rest of the, the crowd, the tribe, the whatever, the collective is working. And, and so that's how we want to do it. And for whatever reason, we haven't reset that to a new level with technology. I'm literally in the middle of writing a blog post about how we have let technology down. And I, and I don't want to say technology's let us down. We have created technology to make our lives easier and then used it to make ourselves work more. But we, as a society and as individuals, did that to ourselves. Before See, I kick that's... back to Ryan, I do want to observe that there is an argument you made that earlier in your career, you do need to put in more sweat equity because ultimately that is what you have to offer is more sweat versus experience and you do have to accumulate some so i don't want to be dismissive of the that oftentimes for younger people you need to invest in that but i don't buy into this you know 12 hour days six days a week as the answer that isn't good for anybody <laughs> well see and and this is the thing the reason that this topic matters to this audience if we have heard an objection, a problem coming out of the pandemic, a challenge or obstacle to growing your business as a technology service provider, I've heard a dozen different things that are difficult right now. And the one that I hear by far the most frequently with the most urgency is, I can't find enough humans to hire. I just, it's difficult. I can't find technicians who are qualified. I can't find salespeople who wanna work here. I can't grow my business irrespective of how lucrative the market opportunity is because I can't find any humans. Yes, you can if you are thinking through this modern evolution. And I agree with you, Carl, 100%. There once was a time where Monday through Friday, eight to five with an hour lunch break made some sense 
because of the way that communication technology didn't yet exist or to facilitate remote contact or real-time access or other modern functionalities. That was then. And I think if there is one ultimately positive thing for business that comes out of the pandemic, certainly hope that it will be that we finally admit that was then. And that doesn't rule the world now. You can be here, there, and literally anywhere, anytime, as long as you get your job done. If you will approach it that way, even a small IT solution provider in a local town can hire anybody they want. Well, and we may not know the answer for many, many years, but we've talked before about how Amazon, you know, works people like rented mules and, uh, you know, is slowly and gradually working their way through employing every single person in America for six weeks. Um, but and it's because they have horrible, horrible working conditions. At the same time, people went home during this pandemic and learned that you got, quote unquote, eight hours worth of work, but you can do it over 12 hours if you take a couple of walks, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, you know, pick up your kids from school, you know, spend a little time doing some home chores, whatever. You had a slightly more reasonable lifestyle and you were far more relaxed and you got all of your work done and you outperformed the goals that they had set for you. So now they know, everybody knows, top to bottom, management to the lowest employee that this can be done. And the only question is how much of that is going to stick because there are people who will say, you know, forget it, Amazon. You know, I, I'm going back to an employer who lets me work based on, on what I actually achieve. Um, now, the question is, next question is, are there enough employers to keep that going? Sadly, we're out of time on that topic. Uh, topic number three. So an interesting thing sort of snuck up on us. I love this uh, when the innovators dilemma becomes true in real life, the innovator solution. QR codes have been waiting. They've been roughly around for whatever, a dozen years. Uh, seven or eight people have actually used them until the pandemic. <laughs> and then suddenly there's an actual use case where people sat down in a restaurant, scanned the barcode, the QR code, uh, and got the menu on their phone. DoorDash taught us how to actually use that menu. And then we went to the restaurant and we ordered food and we paid there, and that's all beautiful. And finally, QR codes have a reason to exist, except now the reality is you have taken your phone and a database and a storage system and placed it between you and a very simple activity of ordering food. And now we have the privacy question of these companies and the people who manage the data and manage the QR code scanning and the QR code creation. <laughs> They're all getting your preferences with how you pay, how much you tip, the speed at which you go through the meal. I mean, they're getting massive amounts of data on every piece of what used to be just you and a friend sitting down and having a simple meal. Yep. Good and or bad. <laughs> and, and, yep. Uh, so what, what I'm, I'll throw this out and say like, yeah, I get it. Totally agree with all the problems totally rant on all the problems. This is just one more use case on the massive list of reasons why we should actually define rules of the road for privacy and data retention and data collection. This isn't a new one, it's just another one. By the way, I will, will say, 
I freaking love this technology. <laughs> I have used I have used it. So that's the question. Is this exactly the same as I want to track my jogging on my phone? So yes, 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 yes. Do whatever you want with my data. Well, but the answer is, is no, don't do whatever you want with data. I think there need to be some rules of the road about what you can and can't do with my data. As long as you are, for example, clear with clear with that expectation, you set it there. We have an understanding of the rules of who owns it. Like if we define those things, then you can make an informed decision. The problem right now is, is we're in a world where those things are all just up, up for grabs. I love this use case. I freely admit I love it. it like in restaurants and bars, particularly around group group of friends, because I can run my own tab, they can run their own tabs. By the way, food just appears. It's the greatest thing ever. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but and, and by the way, and I get actually, there is a value in their ability to customize things for me. I like services that do tailor to my needs and to, to my desires and, or, that, or learn what I like and offer me things that are complimentary. I like that. The unknown for me is just the, I want to define who owns that data, what it's allowed to be done, and should I change my mind or need something to do something, I need a methodology for doing something with that. That needs to be defined broadly. See, Dave, I think you are absolutely correct on the uh, the privacy and security question, but I think uh, what you didn't realize that you did right there, you just got really, really close to giving a very good justification for what we in the industry refer to as digital transformation. Oh, no. uh, because because that is not a question. What you're describing there is a user experience fundamentally rooted in the digital world. That is not the function of the QR, right? If you're familiar with the concept of omni-channel communications. So yeah, in the world of media and go-to-market, we use the term omni-channel to refer to the integration of every possible way that you could communicate with and promote to your audience. The QR code is the universal linking technology among all of that stuff, right? If I am watching television and you want me to go visit your website for more information, put up a QR code, I scan it with my phone, I'm instantly taken out of the world of TV and into the world of your website. That can happen in a restaurant with the menu, that can happen uh, in the office, that can happen with anything where we want to have not just physical or digital, but all of the omni-channel forms of contact with our customer. That's the point and purpose of a QR code. And that's the reason why it is so damn scary that there are no privacy or security standards written for this stuff yet. Because what we just said was, this is the universal key to everywhere you go and everything you ever did. Holy crap, I don't want Mark Zuckerberg having an unfettered access to all. Well, so I, I, I want to point out that we, the three of us, would be considered sophisticated users. When I see a QR code, I get the technology, I get the data tracking, I get what it means. But many people, when they sit down at that restaurant, to Dave's point, they don't get what that means. They don't, nobody is telling them, okay, do this, here's the price you pay, because they don't have to accept any terms of service, that, right? So the question is, is it, Feasible, let's say some new technology gets invented tomorrow, is it feasible that that can come into use with some guidelines, some reasonable guidelines already preset so that you know you can safely use new technology even before people have figured out 
how to invade your privacy with it? Yes, and the answer is that's why we have industry committees that produce standards and formats, right? I grew up in a world of IEEE 1394, and that's not because any one vendor controlled it and dictated it to everybody. It's because every one of the companies that produce technology adjacent to that standard had to agree to interoperability, and it came with standards and with expectations and restrictions on what you can do with that. Oh, we can absolutely do that. The question is, will the people who presently do bajillions in revenue off of misappropriating your data without telling you about it, will they even agree to try to play nice? Because I think if the Facebook guys and the Google guys and the everybody else who is currently using your data without telling you, if you asked them, they would say, don't you dare put standards on this. I would, that's my business model. Well, and I'll throw back to a little bit from last week too. This is, this is the conversation also about the about guidelines of, of why we have some level of regulation is, is that, that we were talking about signage and we were talking about privacy last week. This is that. I'm not saying necessarily that we have to have long end user license agreements that are stamped on the walls of every restaurant. What I'm saying is, is that we ought to have, there ought to be some norms that are set up by society where we do know some of that or it is knowable of what those things are should you need to under should you want to or need to understand them and there are limits of what toxins can go into the water as i always throw out as an example and that's why i'm looking for multiple levels ryan's right to say that i want a certain level of industry standard and i also want there to be a certain level of regulatory standard just so that we know what the what the creepiness is like where, where the bottom is that you can't go below that well i would just note that i hope Many of our listeners made money setting up these menu systems for their local restaurants because it was one of the biggest changes that I think I've ever seen and probably, and I want to say, in a six-month period. Right. And it's and by the way, and I think it's it's one of the ones that is sticking around. The restaurant owners like it. Consumers generally, consumers generally like it. There's a lot to this that is going to stick around. So it's, I hope a lot of people did make money off of the services on that. And by the way, we'll continue to because there is opportunity in version two, version three, and in, in enhancing that experience, in making it a, a better, integrating it with their reward, uh, their rewards programs, their loyalty programs, making the data better. Like there's so much more that can be done here. I guess it's a digital transformation. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You you knew it was going to come for you at some point when you realize, hey, I'm not here to sell you a technology. I'm here to produce a better outcome, and I believe that's where it is. But in the true mindset of a real technology solution provider, if you've done that for a restaurant client, please go back there and sell them some new wireless APs and some uh, uh, upgraded bandwidth and access because uh, many of the restaurants where I go to that has this thing in the new world, the big problem is they're made out of bricks or concrete or whatever and cell phone service inside sucks and I'm not about to log on to your open crappy Wi-Fi without some other security and whatever. So if you can get them hooked on that digital menu option, dot, 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 oh, now you're- I recommend that you go there and sell them robots to deliver the food and free up those employees to go do something else. Now we're doing another show, guys. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, sadly, uh, you have just spent another 30 minutes. No, happily, you spent another 30 minutes. Sadly, we're at the end of the 30 minutes. Thank you for joining us on episode 
123 of the Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.